United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. Hello again, everybody. Dean Linky, so great to be in this role with United Soccer Coaches. I appreciate you joining me each and every week, especially during this crazy time where you, like me, like all of us, trying to stay safe, trying to stay inside, indoors, stay away from people, trying to do our part to not spread the COVID-19. During that time, we are watching a lot of television, hopefully listening to a lot of podcasts, and eagerly awaiting the re-emergence of sport and, you know, things we love, right? And we love soccer. We love the NWSL. So on today's show, Elise LaHue, what a job she's done as the new general manager for Sky Blue FC, turning around a program that had some culture issues, and then bringing in Freya Coombe from England, now as the head coach. Of course, Marsha McDermott, former president of United Soccer Coaches, also involved with that club. I think you'll like what... Elise and Freya have to say. I will say there were a few audio difficulties with Elise's interview, but I think it's good enough where you'll be able to get all of it. Things were perfect with Freya. And then we'll end with part five of our six-part series with the Faith-Based Coaches Advocacy Group, Rick McKinley, who is the Senior Director of the Chicago Eagles, which is part of the Missionary Athletes International. He talks sport ministry, some incredible tours, great way to get involved. You'll like our visit with Rick McKinley, part five of a six-part series led by Mike Lynch, the head coach of the Belmont Abbey Women's Soccer team, Kevin Sims, the president of United Soccer Coaches, also very much pushing ethics and leadership. And before we start, also want to thank Michael Knipper, Sean Chevrolet, Lynn Burley, Manuel, all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches. We get started though with Elise LaHue, the general manager of Sky Blue FC. Let's start playing of NWSL after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to teamsnap.com slash NSCAA1. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap, Dean Linky. Talk a little bit NWSL. If you've listened to this podcast over the last three, four years, you know I'm a huge NWSL fan, longtime voice of the North Carolina Courage, and loving what's happening at Sky Blue FC and loving that Elise LaHue is involved as the general manager for Sky Blue FC, virtually turning that program around in just over a year. Of course, Elise has been involved in the game for a long time. I knew her during her time as GM for Chicago Red Stars back in the WPS days. In fact, she is one of only two women currently holding the title of general manager in the NWSL and is the first woman in league history to serve as general manager in both the Women's Professional Soccer League, WPS, and with Chicago and now in WSL. Elise, thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, crazy time right now as uh, we've been dealing with this pretty much every week as part of the United Soccer Coaches podcast, and that is what's going on with COVID-19, the coronavirus, everybody trying to keep their social distance, but also trying to keep active. And I know Sky Blue FC, they've been doing Zoom meetings, a lot of fun stuff. So just first off, talk about uh, how tough this has been for you and the organization and the wonderful athletes on your team and how you've been dealing with it. Yeah, I mean, certainly um, trying times for everybody, I think, is certainly something um, unprecedented that I've ever seen. Um, so not just in the sports world, but we know there's, um, uh, you know, this is affecting everybody uh, across the board. And a lot of folks are essentially uh, stuck at home, self quarantine right now, which is, of course, the right thing to do. So for us, we saw an opportunity, you know, to try to put a smile on our fans' faces. This is a tough time. A lot of folks do with a lot of anxiety over the situation and, uh, you know, being indoors, being isolated from other people. So 
we decided to use our platform as a way to essentially try to reconnect people, connect our fans, even though it's in a, in a digital realm, um, but hopefully find some, some ways to put a smile on their face through some of our silly games we've been doing, crossword puzzles and activity books for kids and and we held a happy hour for our supporters group via Zoom. Um, so doing a video conference happy hour, which is really fun, a couple trivia hours, just trying to help people get through this. All right, we're here with Elise LaHue, NWSL General Manager for Sky Blue FC. I got to believe that it's even harder for you because you generated a lot of excitement, you and your organization, both with the push, you know, at the end of last season, but then in the off season, deciding to move venues full-time, making some massive trades, go ahead and extending the contract of Freya Coombe, your head coach, who we'll talk to after our visit with you. A lot of big moves, Elise, changing a culture that it's fair to say it was a little rough there at times, and now you've got to head it in the right direction. Talk about all those moves as long as you want because they're all real impressive. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. It's been, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of work over the last year. I have a great uh, support team and incredible staff around me and ownership that, you know, bought into the vision of, of where I wanted to take this club. And it's, it's felt really good over the last year. It feels like we've been uh, pushing the boulder up the hill and going in the right direction. So this certainly has been uh, tough um, from the standpoint of feeling like we've had a lot of positive momentum. Um, but we know everybody's in the same boat right now. So I, I think we're keeping that going by all the things that uh, we're doing to engage the community, even in a digital realm right now. But, uh, yeah, we've had a good last year, um, I think, in terms of trying to uh, push this club into a, a more professional space and moving to Red Bull Arena full-time, which is really exciting. The New York Red Bulls uh, play there, of course. So that was the really big move. But also being able to move our training facility. We also train at Red, Red Bulls training facility. So, being able to improve the quality of, of the training environment for the players made a lot of uh, trade moves in the off season. Of course, uh, we stayed very, very active. Me, Kaya, and then Marsha Dermott, who acts as our technical advisor and somebody that I've worked with for a very long time, was was one of my very first bosses when I started working in soccer. So I have the privilege of now getting to hire her and, and work with her on a regular basis, which is really nice. So I could have tried to work in the off season, just in, in rebuilding the roster, being being competitive, wanting to bring in the right players a little more grit on the roster, and, and we think we did that and uh, had an incredible first week of training. Um, yeah, we only have to train about five days before everything shut down, um, but the team looked incredible. Everybody came in ready to go. It was a really positive first week. Um, so, of course, a bit of a bummer to have to put the brakes on, but uh, everybody's in the same boat, and we're all going to get through this. I think it is fair to say that fans that follow the other teams in the NWSL you know you got their attention, right? I mean, the big trade, the moving to Red Bull Arena, the locking in your coach. You understand people are like, whoa, Sky Blue FC, they went from a culture that people are, like, condemning to now one that you can prop right up against anybody. Yeah, I think we, we had to get there. You know, we, we wanted to put ourselves back on the radar. We don't want to be the ugly stepsister in the league. I want to be a team that folks look at. Uh, and so I think we raised some eyebrows in the off season, and that's, uh, you know, what we were trying to do. We, we don't want to go from eighth place to seventh place. That, that's not our goal this year. We, we want to be a competitive team and get to the playoffs, score some more goals, be exciting for our fans, especially moving into our new home. Uh, so we, we made those moves that we felt were going to hopefully get us to that next level. And obviously I had to put the brakes on for a little bit here, but uh, when things get up and going again, which we're, we're excited for that day and excited to get back with our fans again, uh, we know we're going to put a competitive team out there that's hopefully going to be really exciting as well. One of the things you won't have to deal with now is losing players to the Olympics, particularly the way Carly Lloyd, who is like Ponce de Leon, the ageless wonder, she gets better. She's like a fine wine. I'll use all the cliches. And now she'll be with you. How important is it to have kind of her her leadership, the fact that at the end of the day she's a Jersey girl staying right there with you? Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's hard to name a better player in history than, than Carly in a lot of ways. Uh, she, she just keeps going. She seems to keep getting better with age. I don't know how she defies this. She's got some uh, magic tools that she uses, these uh, ice packs she puts on her knees at the end of every training so she knows how to take care of herself. Um, but Carly's incredible. She's coming off of a great club season last year with us, um, had, had an absolutely phenomenal year, was obviously looking forward to seeing her, you know, compete for the country again in the Olympics. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to be upset to have her around a bit more this season. And 
Um, you know, I think she's going to she's gonna ride it out and, you know, aim for the Olympics next year. So it's exciting to still be able to retain her for a bit longer, um, you know, before she retires. But she's still, in my opinion, at, at the peak of her game and, and playing incredible. And to have a player like that in the environment with her experience and, and background uh, in the training environment and pushing everybody forward, uh, there's really nothing that compares to it. So we're obviously thrilled to, to have her in any capacity for as long as we can keep her. Yes, she likes so many in the game speak for the power of women in sports. And certainly you've made a name for yourself, women in sports. You mentioned Marcia McDermott. You've got a woman a female coach as well. Why was that so important to have all these powerful women around you and then also a female coach, Elise? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it starts at the top. Tammy Murphy, um, who had been more of a silent owner, um, came on about the same time I did. She's really the one that put me into this position. Um, so I've been working hand-in-hand with Tammy through this entire club rebuild, and it's been incredible to have that partnership, have that vision, um, she believes in it the same way I do. We have the same goals for this club. So I think we, we both see things in, in a similar vision and similar standpoint. I think we have to do better as a league in bringing more women into these roles. And at the end of the day, day diversity makes good business. Um, and I think we've seen that at Sky Blue. We've had, uh, you know, two women leading this turnaround and, and hiring right into that job. We also hired a former player, uh, Becca Moros, who's from the New York area. So bringing more players, I think, into the fold, um, into some of these coaching positions or front office positions, we have to be better at building our pipelines and giving more women these opportunities because I, I know there's enough women out there, like myself, who came into the game and had big dreams of wanting to be a GM or wanting to be in these high-level positions. And the more we can nurture those individuals into these roles, it's going to be better for the league moving forward. Spending time with Elise LaHue, the general manager for Sky Blue FC, as we sit out this COVID-19 break, anxious to get back out there and anxious to see what kind of season Sky Blue FC had. You already heard Elise say, we're not looking to just move up to uh, a couple spots. We're looking to make the playoffs. I love that comment. Let's take a look at your background. You went to St. Ambrose University. You also spent time in Ecuador. You started out as a coach, then worked your way into the Red Stars with different jobs. You're the general manager for the L.A. Blues Soccer Club and then became general manager for the Chicago Red Stars. Now, when the WPS went away, you decided to move away from soccer for just a little bit, but soccer brought you back with Gonzo Soccer, and then you found your way here. Talk about that short hiatus away from the sport and then returning to the sport that you obviously love a lot. Yeah, I had that. You know, I went out to L.A. That's where I got my, my first uh, general manager gig. It was actually the first year of USL Pro. So it was for a men's team, um, which was a uh, great relief for me, without a doubt. Um, and that was when the Red Stars actually uh, folded out of WPS, um, which was devastating for me. That's where I started my career. So, um, you know, took advantage of it. got the opportunity to go be a GM out in the men's league in L.A. So I took that step, but I uh, knew that the women's pro league was, I'm hopefully going to call back, and I got that opportunity to come back and work with the Red Stars uh, in the GM capacity in, in 2012, and then help them launch in NWSL was with the Red Stars there for, I think, about five years as a general manager, and, um, you know, I just got to a point I'd been working in, in soccer for quite a while, um, so I was burnt out a little bit um, and, and needed, a, I think, a change of pace, so I stepped down from my role at the Red Stars. Um, and ended up going to the WNBA for a year. It's a league I've always uh, followed and watched and admired, and I think that we could spend a little bit more time learning from each other. Um, so I found an opportunity to go out to the Seattle Storm, spent a year with them, uh, learned an incredible amount. It, it feels a little bit like a gap year, you know, like a, a study abroad year for me. Um, I was there just a sponge, taking in everything I could, learning about the WNBA and the way they function and how they work. And the Storm, of course, are a phenomenal team both on and off the court. Um, so having the opportunity to learn from them was uh, absolutely tremendous for me, and I've got back so many things now that I'm back in another GM role in the NWSL. What has been your greatest moment in soccer so far, Elise, or perhaps that moment is still on the way? Wow, that's a, <laughs> that's a, a really big question. I, I guess I haven't uh, pondered my career so much in, in that regard. I'm always sort of looking for the next thing that I can uh, push forward or rebuild. Um, uh, I will just say that this, this project at Sky Glue has been um, really incredible for me to be a part of. It's been uh, really fun to sort of embrace the fans and, and see that they were with this club through all the ups and downs, and, and they really stayed with them, and they deserve to be um, sort of nurtured in, in a better way, I guess, uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, so I think being around the fans at Sky Blue and seeing their excitement at all the progress that the club has made has been 
incredibly meaningful for me. And um, on the flip side of that, also for the Sky Blue players, there's some players that have been here for years um, that have been through a lot of ups and downs. So being able to put them in a great training facility and a great uh, in a great stadium, one of the best in the country, and uh, you know, putting teammates around them that are here to grind, that want to get better, and uh, so having the opportunity to see players that have been around Sky Blue for a while as well. Uh, now be able to move into this type of an environment has meant a lot to me. Just a few more questions for Elise LeHue before we make way for her head coach, Freya Coombe, the only female coach in the NWSL. You think about United Soccer coaches. You mentioned Marcia McDermott, former president, Amanda Vandervoort, who I think you worked with as well. Make no mistake, United Soccer coaches has made it a priority to listen to women, prop up women, make sure women get the right jobs and more jobs. What has United Soccer coaches meant to you, Elise? Yeah, I've been uh, lucky enough to work on the Women's Advocacy Council in years. Um, so I've been a part of that group and being surrounded by all the women in that group, whether it's our, uh, you know, our foremothers of the group, like, like Marcia, um, or Nancy Feldman, or Janet Rayfield. Uh, there's women that were, you know, around in the year and years. They'll say, they'll, they'll tell me for saying that. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they were the ones that really loved the way for some people like me to come into these halls. And, and now I get to work with other uh, younger women on the committee, um, Haley Carter is leading our group now. Sam Snow was a part of that um, musical, of course, has been a chair for a really long time. So I could, I could go on and on about all the women that have been a part of that group. But um, it's been absolutely tremendous for me to have that opportunity to work with them and to stay engaged with coaches. You know, about uh, coaching on a full-time basis. Um, a lot of my role feels like coaching. Obviously, I work closely with technical staff. The opportunity to stay engaged with United Soccer coaches was tremendous, and my opportunity is even to talk to Lynn. Of course, um, at United Soccer Coaches and see her leadership within the group and how it's, it's transformed. And you mentioned another person, Amanda Vanderborn, Chase Funny, who I've always been close with. I went out to Amsterdam recently. She's obviously a chief women's law officer for six pro now. Um, so I moved to Amsterdam and I uh, had the chance to go over and uh, hang out with her a bit recently and, and see some of the things she's doing. So, um, yeah, it's been a tremendous group to be a part of and it's such a great way for me to stay connected on a, a coaching as well, even though I'm on the admin side. Final 60 seconds after the break, we'll spend time with Freya Coombe. Besides being the only female coach in the NWSL, if asked the best way to describe Freya Coombe and what she's brought to your organization, can you fill in the blanks for us, please? Yeah, she's so uh, so enthusiastic, hardworking, excited to be going. Obviously, I think the proof is in the pudding and, and the way we rebuilt the roster in the offseason. That was really... You know, her brainchild and I'm also whiteboarding and saying, okay, who's, who's the player we want in every position? And we just started tackling and blocking and tackling and started to fuck off those players. Now, I think that speaks to her vision and what she brings and her enthusiasm. So it's been absolutely awesome for me to get to work with her. And uh, you'll have to ask her. Uh, I think she's going through her Starbucks withdrawal during this uh, this quarantine. Uh, she said she was maybe going to make a break for a drive-thru today. So you'll have to ask her about that on the show. Who doesn't love a good Starbucks? My wife already took off to a drive-thru about on the other side of Durham, so I'm with you on that, Elise. Elise, always a pleasure. I wear glasses all the time. I always love to see you still wearing glasses. Tell me you are, right? That's one of your trademarks, oh, right? Yeah, I, I, I didn't have long for a Zoom conference, and I think the folks doesn't recognize me the other day, so I kind of remember to keep them on. <laughs> yeah, they're awesome. Elise Lahu, you're awesome. Thanks very much, Steve. Appreciate it. And when we return, as promised, Freya Kuhn, the head coach, Sky Blue FC, joins us. United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap. Being a coach means being a lot of things. Mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. Of course, it's not easy to be all of those things. You need help, and who better to help you than an association of fellow coaches. Membership with United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by TeamSnap. We're all going a little stir-crazy, safety first, as we try to deal with this pandemic known as the coronavirus COVID-19. We do know that when sports returns, I get a really good feeling that uh, 
We're going to have some big crowds because that's the way America responds, and that includes for the NWSL, which had the tremendous boost following the last World Cup. The crowds were amazing, including at Sky Blue FC. You just heard Elise LaHue talk about the amazing turnaround, the commitment to play now at Red Bull Arena, to train at Red Bull Arena, big trades bringing in Mallory Pugh to work with Carly Lloyd, bringing in McCall Zerboni for the grit, and that just begins some of the moves that Freya Coom and a company have brought to Sky Blue FC. Freya, I'll start with that. I mean, if we can get this thing out of the way, people are excited to see your team. Please tell me you know that. Yeah, it's been really good to have some of the feedback. Um, there was a good buzz around the draft um, and that we've had over the course of the, the off-season. And there was definitely a buzz building up. Um, the fans are excited, and we've had really great feedback. So just want to get out and training again now. Sometimes, you know what, you've got to go ahead and make those big moves, right? You've got to shake it up a little bit. And make no mistake, you didn't stop at just one. You made multiple moves to build around, you know, as, I to- as I said to Elise, Ponce de Leon, Carly Lloyd. I mean, the older she gets, the better she gets. So you still have that centerpiece, but now you've got a whole lot more support for her, don't you? Yeah, you know, we've been really impressed with um, with the players that we've brought in. I know we only had a few of them in for pre-season because of the international window and the She Believes, um, but the, the players we had in in that small week that we had available, it was a fantastic standard. And we've been really impressed um, with, you know, the attitudes of the players coming in. I'm just really excited to get going. And I think we have, you know, increased the level of the squad. We have to make some changes. Um, you know, this is a great opportunity with the new start, with the move to Rebel Arena, with the relocation of our training ground and the improvements that we made there. Um, and I think also, you know, there's other clubs within the league that are making moves. And, you know, it's important to keep up with, with those other clubs as well if we want to sh- truly compete for that top four spot and going into playoffs. I'll ask Elise the same question. When... Um, and I'll say when, not if, because we got to get through this, right? we got to get back out there and enjoy this great league, I, I think the best league in the world for women's soccer. Now that the Olympics have been definitely pushed back a year, that'll be one less worry. You won't have to worry about losing a Carly Lloyd and a Mallory Pugh and others, even some of the international players. How important is that this time around, knowing what you built, knowing where you're playing, where you're training, to not have to deal with so many of those FIFA windows. Yeah, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see what that looks like in terms of, you know, with the with how the season's going to roll, in the dates when we do get back to playing and when the players are going to be away with the national team. You know, it's always fun to go and watch the players when they're going off to the Olympics and, and support them. But, you know, I am grateful to be having them in for the, for the season to be able to work intensely with them. Um, and to really have the team together without the distractions of, of them going away for different training camps and different competitions. So I was with the original North Carolina Courage as their TV voice. We had a woman named Marcy McDermott who was the head coach that took us from worst to first, winning the Founders Cup way back when in the early 2000s, and she showed the power of having a female head coach Elise LaHue spent a lot of time talking about what it means to have you, Freya, as the only female head coach in the NWSL. There's a little extra responsibility with that tag. How does that tag, when you hear that tag, what's it mean to you? No, obviously it's, it's, it's a nice honor to be, um, you know, as a female head coach within the league, but, you know, also there's a slight disappointment that there should be more um, within the league as well so you know it's about encouraging as many female coaches to take these positions um, to get involved in the game and to you know to to be coaching at the, the best level that they can you know I'm really grateful to have Becca Morris with us as well she's been a fantastic addition um, and we're definitely female-led within within the club um, with Marsha working with us as well so you know I think it's going to be a matter of time I think with this year we've seen more clubs um, bring in females in the coaching staff um, for this season I think probably more than there has been before but you know it, it would be great for that to continue to increase and more in the head coach roles as well. Big fan of Becca Morris I've called her I think in all of the leagues former Duke star and I'm pretty sure she probably could still be playing she looked like one of those players that play till she's 50 the way she always attacked it for sure so great addition to your staff for sure let's get to know you a little bit better though talk about growing up in england when did you come over to the states why did you come to the states and then link it together how did you get connected with 
Elise and Sky Blue FC? Sure. So um, I first came over in 2014. I'd always been looking at coming over to coach before that, but it had never really been right with my career. I was working at Reading and also lecturing at a university. Um, so it was, you know, going to be pretty hard to step away from, from that. Um, and then I had a kind of a moment in my personal life which made me kind of re-examine everything and kind of go, you know, what do I really want to do in life? Um, so that kind of just spurred me and motivated me to make the move and, and to come over and to follow the dream. So I made the move, came over here um, and was fortunate enough to be able to, to get my green cards. And then that really sort of transformed where I could work and, you know, have that ability to continue working first at New York Soccer Club in their academy um, and then with Sky Blue. So, uh, you know, I was, I've been here, I've been in the country for a while, um, mostly in Connecticut, um, coaching uh, here and then also uh, residing in Connecticut as well. And then the opportunity came to, to connect with Sky Blue. You know, I went in to, you know, see the environment, to watch training, to kind of lear learn from those players, compare it to working uh, with Reading Football Club in England. And then, you know, it was a time when they needed a little bit of support with with their staff. They didn't have a lot of staff working at the time because of the changes that they'd made. Um, and it was just, you know, a, a timing thing, really. I um, was very fortunate to get involved taking a couple of sessions, and then the rest is history. Well, Lyon and Man City and some teams in Spain have shown that they're high-level, they're elite. But I feel like from top to bottom, one to nine, as far as the level of competition, I feel like we can probably say the NWSL is the most competitive, if not the very best women's professional soccer league in the world. What are your sentiments about that statement? Yeah, I would agree with that, actually, from top to bottom. I think this is a really close competitive league, and I think on any given day, the teams are able to take points off each other. Um, and all the games are pretty close. I was surprised looking at the record for Sky Blue when I came into the position at just how many victories um, and defeats were just on the court, like, on one goal, um, and that was the difference uh, between two teams. So, and I think that's different from other leagues. Like you say, you've got some really, really top teams, um, you know, excellent teams in other leagues, but from top to bottom within the league, there is there is a pretty significant drop off when you start to get to the bottom of, the, of those leagues. Whereas, you know, in this league, it's every game you've got to be at your best um, and you've got to be, you know, putting out a team that's going to be competitive and a team that you think is the best team to win the game. One way we're all at our best, including my wife, is making her Starbucks run even during this sort of shutdown, for lack of a, a better word. Uh, we haven't talked about it yet. What have you been doing to stay sane? Because i got to believe more than anybody, particularly with all these moves, with the notion that you're now at Red Bull, not just to play your games, but to train. Are you going a little bit sir-crazy, Freya? Yeah, there is an element of that. Um, fortunately, I've got my dog, Zola, who, uh, you know, yeah. I think people are aware of that I've got her. Um, so the daily walk, um, we try and get out and, and go over some, you know, into the woods or into the dog park. But, you know, it's pretty open space, so you're able to, to do that in isolation, which is great. Um, so taking her out keeps me sane, and I'm also trying to learn to play golf in my living room, which is interesting. Um, I'm trying to perfect a golf swing without smashing the lamps or the TV. Um, but, you know, that's certainly challenging to do, but hopefully that's, that's a, a sport I can take up when I've got a little bit more time and unable to go outside. So it probably won't happen with our schedule. <laughs> All right, well, when we do pull through all of this and we get back out there, and we've already talked about all these great changes. I love the Zerboni trade as well. She was my favorite player over the years, calling games for North Carolina Curry. She's going to bring you a ton of bite. I think your team's going to be really dangerous, particularly if they all stay healthy. But even deeper, it continues to be important to spread the message of what this league means for young girls that can aspire to do what Carly Lloyd has been doing for so long kind of tying into that question about you being the only female in this league i think perhaps even more important for you and everybody including me that i always have the best seat in the house calling these games but making sure these young talented women that didn't have this path before and now it looks like this league has staying power which the other two leagues did not they now have a place to play professionally and make a living that is huge freya yeah, it, it really is. Um, it, it's a huge um, improvement and a, a big step forward for the game. 
um, you know, when I was growing up, there wasn't necessarily a pathway for us to, to go in and play, and, and it was, certainly wasn't a professional pathway. So it's fantastic now that, you know, players have that opportunity um, to have a career that emulates, you know, the men's game, and there's somewhere for them to play. And, you know, and as it continues and hopefully get paid at the appropriate level um, for, you know, for the commitment to the sport, um, and, you know, the league's going to continue to improve and the, the standards get higher and higher, which is fantastic. How excited as we wrap up our interview with you do you get? I mean, it happens to me all the time now. A lot of my guy friends, as I also call North Carolina FC, they're like, ah, oh, yeah, that's good, but when are the Courage playing? I want to go watch the Courage, you know, and I'm like, yeah, but you've got three boys. Yeah, I want to bring them too. I want them to see the best in the world. I want to go to a Courage game. So really, it's not just young girls. I mean, it's men and boys that want to come see NWSL teams play. You're seeing that, right? Absolutely. So I play um, indoor sort of five-a-side in, in leagues with guys, um, and they all want to come and watch. Um, so, you know, they're all talking about the tailgates that they're going to have and, you know, getting a minibus full of people to come from Connecticut to come to the game and watch, um, and they're really excited. And it's, it's, an, it's all about the entertainment of the day, you know, the day and the game day experience. If you can go to Red Bull Arena and have a great time with your friends, watch a good level soccer game, you know, I don't think it should matter whether it's males or females out on the field. You know, it's about that whole game day experience um, and being amongst friends and supporting good soccer. Just a couple more questions. If you listen to our podcast, I often ask coaches like you who are key mentors in your life. They can be coaching mentors. They can be personal mentors, professional mentors. When you look back as you start hopefully soon to get back on the field, who are some people that help shape the coach that you are becoming and have become? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I think someone that kind of sticks out in my mind is Lee Heron, who works for Arsenal Football Club. And he was the director of the community at Reading Football Club when I was there um, and then went into work as the academy director um, and then moved on to Arsenal from Reading. Um, he's had a big influence on me in terms of, you know, seeing the game and being involved in the pro game, um, myself as a coach and just the kind of the standards and how I want wish to come across to other people. Um, and also Marsha as well, the work that, you know, we've worked very closely for the last, um, what, six, six months or so. Um, and just having her around to kind of teach the nuances of the league and go through the draft. You know, the draft is something that was completely new to me and something I'd never experienced before. And having her experience and knowledge and, you know, her thought-provoking questions, you know, it's, it's been important for me and my development to be a coach at this level in this league. So, you know, I'd say that those two people have been have been very key for me. Okay, and with that, your greatest memory in soccer, it can be as a player, as a coach, as an administrator, as a fan, your number one moment in this great game that we all love so far, Freya? Ooh, that's important. Um, there's been a few good ones, um, but one, it, one that really sticks out actually is um, when I was, I think I was about probably, what was I, like 16, 17, something like that, and we were playing against a rival team, so this is Chesham United, who I later went on to play, and I was playing for Risborough Rangers, Two very famous names of clubs, obviously. Um, and we, our game got postponed. So we had to play on a Friday night, and it was the semi-final of the cup. So it was, you know, whoever won that night had to win. So it's going to go to penalties and everything. And we went one nil down to Chesham, and I managed to pop up and score with about ten minutes to go and score the equaliser. Um, and then we went on to win the game in penalties. So I was really happy, and that's one that always kind of sticks out in my mind as. One of those moments, and just to to go and beat Chesham was was huge for us in the County Cup. So uh, yeah, I, I love Chesham now. They're a lot of good friends, you know, my teammates from there. But at that time, they were our rivals, and it it was a huge game for us. That answer just another great way to get to know you a little bit better. My final question at the end of the day, and you know, in sports, there's a goals and expectations. Again, we're going to go with win, not if. We get back on the field. The expectations for Freya Coombe and Sky Blue FC this year. Oh, that's, that's good. Well, obviously, we've set a lot of goals internally, um, and I have a lot of expectations for myself. But you know, I think it's important for us to get the team together um, quickly to try and get the our game model um, communicated to the players quickly and have them sort of working towards it. So I want to see entertaining soccer on the field and definitely a challenge for playoffs. Freya Coom, it's a great story. The resurgence of a program that was really struggling, 
They were not getting great marks. Now they're getting super high marks. You're right in the middle of it all. You got Red Bull Arena. That's where you're training. Big new trades and uh, the only female coach in the NWSL. A lot of eyes deservedly on you and your team. We thank you so much for joining us, and we thank Elise as well and being a part of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snaps. Ray, a real pleasure. Thanks for being on the program. Thanks very much. Really appreciate it. Okay, Elise LeHue, Freya Coombe, great leaders for Sky Blue FC as we all are waiting for the restart of NWSL and MLS and USL Championship and USL League One and, of course, the Premier League overseas. Any soccer, any time, will take it for sure as we all deal with this COVID-19 coronavirus together. We do hope that all of you are staying safe and staying smart. Our thoughts and prayers are with all of you, particularly those who perhaps has lost someone or know someone that is deeply sick because of this pandemic. Well, we've been getting very close with our faith-based coach advocacy group led by Mike Lynch, part of a six-part series. Hard to believe we are on part five today, and we will start part five when we return as we're joined by Rick McKinley, who is the director of the boys program for the Chicago Eagles. He's also with Missionary Athletes International, and he's going to talk about sport ministry and what you gain from that experience and so much more. Rick McKinley, part five of a six-part series with the Faith-Based Coaches Advocacy Group. Mr. McKinley. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Staff. I want to thank Elise LaHue and Freya Coombe, the superstars for Sky Blue FC, as they are so looking forward to getting back on the field. So are we. But we're also looking forward to continuing our six-part series with the Faith-Based Coach Advocacy Group, led by Mike Lynch. Also, shout-out to Kevin Sims, the president, who helped push this along as well. He's enjoying it. Kevin, thanks for all you've done, and as promised, we're now joined by Rick McKinley, who's the Senior Director for Chicago Eagles, that's boys and girls, or men and women, which is tied to the Missionary Athletes International, and Rick, first of all, welcome to our series here, Part 5, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Dean, it's good to be with you. Yeah, do me a favor, explain exactly what Chicago Eagles is, and what your affiliation with Missionary Athletes International is, please. Sure, be glad to do that. Chicago Eagles was started in 1997, and our real desire and purpose was to work alongside of collegiate men and women to help them understand how to live out their faith as athletes and coaches. So my wife and I began the office here that year. We moved up from Charlotte, North Carolina, where we've been a part of the Charlotte Eagles organization, and prior to that, we'd been out in Southern California with the uh, Southern California Seahorses. All three of those offices and teams are a part or a division of what is known as Missionary Athletes International, or for brevity, we like to say MAI. Missionary Athletes International's whole purpose is our tagline or our motto is a season of training for a lifetime of service. And our whole hope is we're, we're a soccer-only organization, soccer-only ministry, and our desire is to, to really work alongside of athletes and coaches and, and with church groups and mission organizations and help them see the opportunity they have of what it really looks like to, to live out what they say they believe and then through playing and coaching to both represent our faith on and off the field and then to also just encourage growth in the sport and development through the game throughout the world. All right, Rick. Well, we're looking forward to your segment, 5 of 6. You're going to be talking about sport ministry, which makes sense based on the background that you just laid out. Before we get to that, though, what's been your involvement with United Soccer Coaches over the years, Rick? Wow. You know, I first came across the NSCAA 
in Boston, and I think the year was 1987. That's what I have a memory of. But visited Boston during the convention time with another a fellow coach. Just stopped by. Never knew of the organization prior to that. But um, went back and was so excited about what was happening there that signed up the next year and started going to the the convention in 1988 and have not missed one since. Been able to have been blessed to be a part of every convention since that time. And during that time, I guess I've probably flown under the radar more than anything. I've been involved a little bit. We have a reception that MAI hosts on Friday evening. Used to be Friday evening uh, for over 30 years. And this last year we went to Thursday evening to try to line up there more with the schedule. And so been able to host that for over 30 years and then be a part of the fellowship breakfast, the Leighton Shoemaker breakfast on Saturday mornings. Been able to, to serve on that committee from time to time and I'm back on that right now. And then in the last couple of years to be working alongside of Mike Lynch and the committee there with the faith-based coaches and have really, really enjoyed that time together with them. Reminding you all that MAI stands for Missionary Athletes International as Rick McKinley already broke that down. Now, Rick, how long and in what ways have you been involved with sports ministry? I kind of look back on it in my life and realized that it probably started impacting me when I was 12 years old, and I'm a lot older than that right now. But uh, when I was 12, I literally uh, heard the testimonies, the stories of several faith-based coaches from the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. To put a little kind of timeline on it, it was on a record album that I heard it of uh, their 1967 national convention, so going way back. But that was when I really first began to see the correlation between faith and sport and hearing the stories of guys like Tom Landry, Bob Richards, Bobby Richardson, uh, just a lot of famous athletes from those years. That really began to impact my life as a player. When I graduated from college, I went as a a school teacher, a missionary, and a coach to Puerto Rico, where I lived for three years. Early on, I was a baseball guy and then came to love soccer when I was younger. And so baseball and soccer were, were really two of my my favorite go-tos, for sure. While I was uh, coaching there in Puerto Rico, I had a chance to work with baseball chapels. was actually sharing in a chapel service one Sunday morning before our game. Really sensed a strong pull that didn't hear any audible voices, but really sensed that God was was give me a, a vision and an insight of how using sport would be an incredible opportunity to share my faith. And so I was in that chapel service with a group of guys that were playing in the winter leagues that really felt that strong urge to, to be a part of sports ministry on a, on a long-term basis. Came back and got my master's degree in educational ministries from Wheaton College. Then uh, got married during that time. And uh, the next year after, after I was done with my my grad program, joined a soccer organization that was seeking to live out their faith through the game of soccer, and that was 34 years ago. My wife and I have been full-time in that ever since. Love it, Rick. As you know, coaches have so much power. They have so much influence. Most of the time, it's for the right reasons. As you know, sometimes it's not for the right reasons. As we think about your role in sport ministry what do you see, Rick, as the value of a coach in a young person's life? Billy Graham has a, a quote that's, that I've heard many times, and I totally agree with it and feel like where he said that, you know, a, a coach has the opportunity to influence more young people in one year than an average person will do in a lifetime. And that certainly held true for me. I think back to the coaches that I've had and Boy, I totally agree with your statement. I've had some coaches who were just, just shaped my life. I mean, and I remember them and had stay in touch with them to this day. And you know, I've had a couple other coaches that, that weren't, weren't so strong. I mean, in fact, one of those I, I went back and found out in, from my high school days that, uh, he had ended up going to prison for a lot of things that were incredibly destructive and he had actually ruined a lot of athletes' lives and, and so, yeah, I've seen the power of the coach in both, both a positive and, and, and a negative way. And I think when a coach is very intentional about their opportunities that they have to, to shape and influence a young person's life, I think it can literally change the trajectory of a person's life. And so I love being involved with coaching. I, I, 
I think the value is, is amazing. And I know there's a lot of good ways that you can influence and impact the lives of other people. But honestly, I, I don't know of a better way than the opportunity that you have as a coach. Amen to that. We're spending time with Rick McKinley, Senior Director for Chicago Eagles, part of Missionary Athletes International, MAI. Rick, as you sort of sit there and, and reflect, and particularly as we're doing a lot of reflection as part of this incredible faith-based coaches six-part series led by Mike Lynch. I've been fascinated each and every week with great guests, great topics. What would you say is your why? What gets you up in the morning? Oh, man. Boy, that, how long do we have? Uh, you know, I, I think I think back at, you know, over 34 years and been blessed to, to lead 30, over 30 short-term mission trips to over 22 different countries. Just really blessed to have a lot of experiences with a lot of people, a lot of variety of people, and met a lot of amazing people out there. But when I think back, part of what we do is a short-term mission trip like that. We also run teams for collegiate and men and women and above. And we run soccer camps for kids. And I guess uh, if I was going to be succinct with this, I would probably mention Carson, 10-year-old camper that we had in our camp a couple of years ago, whose father was deployed to Afghanistan. Mom and dad had been praying that God would bring along some male role models in their son's, their son's life. So we got a chance through the camp to really live out our faith and share the importance of what our faith in Jesus Christ is all about. And... Yeah, it literally impacted Carson's life. His mom wrote us a letter after that time and, and thanked us and helped us realize the impact that that camp had had, little soccer camp had had on his, their son's life. And then I think of, of James, a collegiate player, who was a part of our summer program. And, you know, when he came to us, reality was he was a borderline alcoholic because he said he would drink after his team lost because he was upset. And he would go out and get drunk after his team won because he was celebrating. And, and yet he realized that he wanted to have faith in God. And he wanted to follow uh, what God had for his life, but he was really wrestling with that. So I had a chance just to interact and to invest in his life and mentor him. And, um, man, a couple years after that, I had a chance to perform his wedding ceremony, and his life had been completely transformed. His heart had been completely transformed, just a whole different countenance in his life, a whole different countenance on his face. So what wakes me up in the morning is seeing transformation that can take place through this great game that we love. And sometimes I almost feel guilty because, you know, it's a game that we enjoy being around, and we have so, many, so much opportunity with it, and the potential with it is so great. And yet you can see how the game can be used in some incredibly positive ways and in some ways that for us personally who are involved in sports ministry, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, how it can literally impact a person's life and change the trajectory of, of where they're headed. That definitely is, is one of those big things that really gets me up in the morning. Now, when you think about sport ministry, who consistently gains the most from the experience? The recipient of the visit? Or the person making the visit, Rick. Yeah, yeah. That it, you know, it's a it's a tough one because I I think we try to prepare our athletes and coaches when we travel on a short term mission trip overseas, prepare them for for what's ahead, but also give them a vision for what we hope to see happen after we leave a location because we go out as kind of a scout ahead of time to meet with our partners that we work with, with the, the groups that we're, we're partnering with, and find out what their vision is and, and what their desire is. So a big part of what we wanted to do was to see sustainable programs after we leave. We don't want it just to be a flash in the pan for a week or two weeks or three weeks and then not have anything to, to carry on. But our hope is that there's going to be ongoing benefit from a lot of times we'll sit down with coaches and we'll go through skill sessions and training. I 2007, I had a chance to be in Ethiopia working with some coaches that were going to go out out the villages around the country and run soccer programs and and invest in the lives of boys and girls. You know, so you see those kind of things, and there's a ripple effect that you hope to see will last. And we will work alongside partners that are going to adopt what we what we are doing and and the, to receive the training that we're able to give, and then to carry that on and run their own programs and. Uh, I see that multiplied over and over again many different places. But I think the reality is as we go that so many of us, no matter where you're at on your faith journey, to be honest with you, you know, so many of us go 
and, you know, you learn what it really looks like to serve somebody else. You know, you become incredibly grateful for what you have. You see, you know, situations where, you know, teams have maybe, you know, two or three balls and they're playing on a field that, that we would never even think about playing on, you know, here in the U.S. So, you know, you see those kind of things. You come back and that you can't help but be changed because you know that those kids are playing and those kids are involved with a real hunger for the game and a, a love for the game. And, and so you see those kind of things. You serve somebody, and we've gone to places where their resources were so incredibly limited, and yet they gave to us in so many ways. And you're just saying, no, no, no. In Uganda, when I was there in the late 80s, we had a chance. One of the top coaches in the country was alongside of us, and he wouldn't let me carry my bag. I had broken my foot two weeks before going there, so I was in a cast. And he wouldn't let me carry my He carried my bag everywhere I went. And he was one of their, their national team coaches, one of their national level coaches. And you think, how, do, how does a guy learn to serve like that? And you look back and you go, man, I know so little about leadership and about servanthood. You know, I can't help but think we come back from those kind of experiences at least with as much as we've given. I hope we can give a portion of what they give to us in those situations. When you think about sport ministry, there are words like selflessness, gratitude, teaching skills, mentoring, modeling. Those are more than just words as it relates to sport ministry, aren't they? Absolutely. I mean, one of the reasons that probably initiated my involvement in sport to begin with was that if I'm going to be really transparent and honest, I would say I was involved in a lot of church-related sports activities when I was a kid growing up. Grew up around the church, and and so I loved playing sport. And so I was involved with a lot of it, but the sad, the really sad part was that I saw a lot of circumstances, a lot of situations where there was a real discrepancy in what people were saying and in what they were doing. And, you know, as I got older, and I remember a situation after I'd gone through grad school and was considering serving full-time in sports ministry, where I saw that just in a really negative way, and it broke my heart, and I realized that Sport should be the place that we have an opportunity to really live what we have in our heart, you know, to really demonstrate the faith that we say is the most important thing in our life. And we're not perfect. I mean, I've failed, my goodness, after being in this so long, I can't, I'd hate to try to count the number of times that, that I failed at, at, at trying to represent what I say I believe. But, but yet that striving for excellence, that pursuit, that this is not just about a game, it's about so much so much more, so much greater. It's about belief and a, about life, and it's about relationship and caring for other people. It's about understanding who you are, and in fact, understanding who God is. When you start to see that, you realize when you live out your faith in sport, even when you fail, you recognize that it's a chance to grow and to learn. And I have, I'm coaching high school boys right now in club soccer, and Man, I try to drive home a point, and that is, don't be afraid to fail. You know, if you're if you if you're afraid to fail on the field, you're not going to be able to play with freedom. And then I just try to also share with them and help them realize, hey, you're going to make choices in life, and sometimes you're going to make bad choices. But man, when you do that, you can get up and keep moving. You can keep moving forward. And where I stand in my faith journey, I, I recognize that when I do that. I can be forgiven for those screw-ups, and, man, there are plenty of them. But I realize that when I can be forgiven, I can live with a freedom as well in that I am forgiven. I just feel like, you know, sport has so much to teach us in that regard. And so, to me, I think sport, by its nature, causes a reaction. And you have to decide which way you're going to respond. It causes a response. Because of that response, it digs down to the very core of who I am. And sometimes it reveals things that aren't so great in my heart. But you know what? When I recognize that and when I'm honest with myself and with God, then he has a chance to do work in me and, and to help me grow. And I'm still growing. Boy, oh, boy, i I got a lot of growing to do. But I know and I can look back on how much he has helped me grow over the years. And, and it gets exciting. So I, I love being involved in sports ministry. Well, one thing that you've already touched on is you've got to take this show on the road quite a bit. Give us some details, if you can, Rick, on what encompasses a typical abroad sport ministry experience. Break that down for us, please. One of the things that when you approach 
a sports ministry experience, whether it be a, running a soccer camp or traveling overseas, taking a team to another country or working in a coach's training session that we do quite often, you approach it with excellence, you know, with preparation, just like you would a practice or, or a game situation as a coach. You know, you want to approach it with excellence. And then I think you need to understand your why. If I'm out there leading a mission trip and if I don't understand my why, like that, what my purpose is in doing that, hey, I don't care how long you say you call yourself a Christian or been a Christian. Man, you can run into pride issues. You can run into identity issues. But if I understand my why in, in having a, a sports ministry experience, whether it be a camp or a tour, then I can look beyond the peripheral. I can look beyond the, the minor elements of things and look to the bigger picture, look to those things that are going to be more significant and more important. So so if we're doing a trip overseas, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of, of pre-planning, a lot of making sure that you're on the same page, you know, with your partners. You want to know what your outcomes are going to be and what your what your goals and objectives are going to be with those programs. And then you want to, you know, you want to set the course. You want to chart the course for that time, you know. So you set a good schedule. You put people in proper places that have leadership skills so that, you know, when I first started this, one of the biggest mistakes I made was trying to do everything on my own, you know, because I loved everything we were doing. And so, you know, I wanted to coach the team and direct the trip overseas and be in charge of ordering the meals. Boy, I had to learn some hard lessons that, it takes a team, and it takes a team of leaders to get around you. And you get good leadership around you, then, boy, it will help you be successful in so many different ways. So equipping those people as they're, you know, that's what I love working with college athletes, is that if you can equip collegiate men and women and they understand their leadership skills and their opportunities to serve and you allow them and then you release them into roles, then what you're doing grows exponentially. And the impact and the influence that you can have on people is going to grow exponentially. That's been a real joy in this process as well of, of in leading some of these programs is seeing young guys and girls come along who begin to own the opportunity for leading and then to release them and allow them to do things. And, you know, we have a saying in our, in our ministry that we want our ceiling to be the next person's floor. We want our the extent of what we can do, we want that to be just where the next person starts, you know. And so I think that can happen, you know, and that's a, a great way that we can we can approach coaching as well. I mean, we should want our athletes to, to be able to go so far beyond what we're at or what we know or what we can do. And when you approach it that way, then I think you're approaching it with an attitude of excellence and, and a desire to see things grow. Great breakdowns. We're here with Rick McKinley. You know, we just had Elise LeHue and Freya Kum on from Sky Blue FC, and I asked them their greatest moment so far in soccer with you just breaking down what encompasses a typical broad sport ministry experience. I've got to ask you, what's been the biggest unanticipated, I guess for lack of a better word, aha moment you've experienced, Rick, on a sport ministry experience, local or abroad? Mm. Wow. Uh, can I give you a couple if I'm quick? Absolutely. Okay. I, I think I already mentioned I was in Ethiopia in 2007, and they told us we were going to go out to work with these coaches in a village that was about 20 minutes away from where we were staying in the capital. And long story short there, uh, we nicknamed this village the 20-minute village, but in reality it took us four hours to drive our vans out to this village. I mean, I, I thought I was at the end of the world. I'd never been so far away from civilization, at least in my experience, and finally, I don't even know how the drivers found this place because we were driving off the roads for about three of those hours, and we pull into this little village. In the very center of the village is a soccer field with these goals set up right in the middle of these mud huts and everything, and they're out there playing soccer. We pull in, and all the people came up running to us. All of a sudden, I look, and there's an Arsenal jersey, and there's a Manchester United jersey, and I thought, how in the world do these kids even know that those teams exist? Because I've never traveled so far away from what I felt like was civilization. And yet these kids, they follow these teams. Now, I'm not going to speak for the validity of the quality of those jerseys or where they came from, but I was blown away when I – that, for the first time, I think, helped me realize how incredibly global this sport really is because – I mean, these kids, they didn't have a whole lot, you know, but here they are, and they, they're, they've got a jersey on from their team that somehow 
they're following in the Premier League thousands of miles away. Um, that was an incredible aha moment of the depth and the scope of this game that we play and that we love. And then one of the other things that I think has helped shape a lot of what I'm doing right now was when I, in 2001, uh, I was privileged to take a team to China. We were playing some women's teams. There was a women's team, and we were going onto the field, and there was a men's professional team coming off the field. I, I looked, and I thought, okay, there's a lot of Chinese players there, but it was obvious a couple of the guys were not Chinese. And I asked our, our contact person, and I said, who, who are the, where are those guys from? And he's like, oh, they're Brazilians. They said every team here has Brazilians. They love Brazilians. So I just remember kind of thinking, wow, my guess is that China's not begging for a lot of Americans to come to China and play. Maybe they are. I don't know. But, but boy, it sure seems like uh, they're in love with the Brazilian game. And, and, you know, that was in 2001. I mean, I'd been to Brazil just once or twice before that. But since 2000. And seven, I've been every year since, actually since 90, 2003, been almost every single year back to Brazil to visit Brazil and to work alongside of men and women in Brazil who are, are really catching a vision for what God might want to do in their lives and, and how their faith can be instrumental in the way that they, not only the way they coach, but the way they live out their life and, and impact others for God's kingdom. A couple minutes left here as we are so pleased to be joined by Rick McKinley, who is the Senior Director for the Chicago Eagles, tied to the Missionary Athletes International, MAI, talking sport ministry. In 30 seconds or so, we have covered a lot about sport ministry. We've covered a lot about some of the things you can do through it by going overseas or even doing some things here. We even tackled the issue of the power of a coach. In your best way, why is it important to tie ministry into coaching and leadership in sports? Yeah, you know, I I think out of all the activity, I mean, I can sit on a church pew for years and never really understand what my faith is all about or how much God really loves me just the way I am. Victory or defeat, winner or loser, starter or sub, last person off the bench. But if I get out on a sports field, it's going to bring out to the surface what's in my heart and who I am and then what I could be if I understand how much God loves me and really cares for me. So I think it's essential that it ties in, that those two things tie together. And I think when they do, a lot of special, really special things can take place. Rick, I know it was important for you to also talk about the one-year residency and some of the other great things you're doing. Yeah, you know, as we have guys and girls come through our program and then they graduate from college or they're playing on one of our USL teams and, and want to get more involved on a full-time basis, we provide – what we call a one-year residency, where they come alongside of us and work on our staff and are part of the programs that we're running throughout the year because uh, certainly we do more than just travel internationally but or camps during the summer. But we have program that works with kids in, in high-risk neighborhoods uh, and urban settings. Several of those athletes are now coaching those boys and girls on a year-round basis. Each week, they're coaching the kids and spending time with them, helping them understand why we do what we do, you know, why the Eagles exist and what we believe God wants to do in our lives. And, and so here in Chicago, we've got over 200 kids involved in that program. I know at our office down in Charlotte, there's over 400 kids that are a part of the program that they've got down there. But our real desire is that as players get older and then get involved in the coaching ranks, that we equip them, we challenge them, and have them go through the licensing. In fact, we have several that are going through their U.S. soccer licensing right now so that they're giving out an excellent product to the kids. But at the same time, they're really showing what it looks like to be transformational coaches instead of transactional and helping the kids understand that they care for them about much more than whether it's just wins or losses, but they're pouring in and investing in these kids' lives. And in some cases, you know, several of our, our coaches live right in the neighborhood, right in the community where the kids come from. They've been able to impact entire families because of their involvement with the boys and girls through through our teams. Rick, we're going to wrap up this six-part series led by the chair for the Faith-Based Coaches Advocacy Group, Mike Lynch, who's from Belmont Abbey College. His president, Bill Fearfelder has stepped up. He's going to wrap it up. He's going to be talking next week about developing body, mind, and soul 
in our athletes. Mm. When you hear that topic, what gets you excited about next week's show? Oh, man, just if that people would understand the correlation, you know, I think I in the conventions recently going to – couple of the sessions, you know, with Ledbetter and Beswick and the Positive Coaching Alliance and other things like that. I think when we recognize how transformational we can be when we see sport as more than just on the surface, I think we have an incredible opportunity to influence for the good, you know, a lot of kids and, and change the direction of, of their lives. And so I get excited about when you when you recognize that we're three-dimensional. We're not a one-dimensional human being. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. All right, Rick, I can't let you go without some promotion because i got to believe there are people listening to this fifth part of a six-part series going, wait a second, Missionary Athletes International, Chicago Eagles, how can I get involved? How can I go on one of these international sports ministry trips? It's now your chance, Rick, to tell us all how we can be more involved. Yeah, thanks, Dean. You know, probably the simplest way would be go to go to maisoccer.com or chicagoeagles.com is uh, where I'm located at uh, personally. But we have a collegiate program for men and women. It's a two-month program. And, you know, Lord willing, we don't, we're, yeah, it's an uncertain time, so we're not sure of all that's going to happen this summer. But our hope is that we're going to be able to continue that program. But if you go on maisoccer.com or chicagoeagles.com, both of those would be great resources to give direction on opportunities to be involved in some of the things that we're doing here. Mike Lynch stepping up big, even our new president, Kevin Sims, stepping up big, saying, hey, let's give, this, let's give the faith-based coaches a six-part series. What's it mean to have that kind of leadership and to get this kind of platform? You know, those guys have been excellent. I know they care about the game. They care about that first word in our name, United. You know, they want to see us united. And, and our hope, and, and literally my prayer, is that, that we can be a positive force in seeing this organization continue to grow and be united and, and help shape a lot of lives. It's been a huge blessing to work with Mike Lynch. Uh, he's just an awesome, awesome leader. And I'm looking forward. I know Kevin a little bit. I'm looking forward to get to know him further. But I think both of those guys and some of the ones that, you know, the presidents that we've had uh, just recently, you know, have been real encouragements to what we're doing. And our hope is that, yeah, that we can continue to see the organization be united and continue to grow. Well, I hope they uh, lift this band. I spent a lot of time in Chicago. I'd love to meet you for coffee and come out and see what you're doing with Chicago Eagles, is it okay if I invite myself like that, Rick? Dean, absolutely would love to have you. I mean, I'm sitting there thinking of everything I haven't even told you, like in regards to the urban program that we have where we're working with 200 kids on a weekly basis and got kids on teams doing some neat stuff. But would absolutely, yeah, you're speaking my love language right now when you talk about that. So, yeah, please invite yourself. Let me know when you're here. I would love to get together. All right, Rick, be careful what you wish for, because I am going to look you up in Chicago, because I've really enjoyed our time together talking about sport ministry. Thanks so much for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Uh, Dean, looking forward to it, man. I really, really appreciate this time and the United Soccer Coaches and the opportunity to serve with faith-based coaches. Thanks so much, Dean. Really appreciate it being with you today. My pleasure. Don't forget, we're going to wrap up this six-part series next week with Dr. Bill Felder. He is the president at Belmont Abbey College, the same college where Mike Lynch is the outstanding women's coach. He's going to be talking about developing body, mind, and soul. I want to thank our great guests for Part 5, Rick McKinley. also want to thank Elise LaHue, the general manager for Sky Blue FC, and the only female coach in the NWSL, Freya Zoom. At the same time, same channel next week. 